Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Today, we're bringing you a conversation with SNL cast member, podcast host, and all-around lovely person, Bowen Yang. I spoke with Bowen back in September, right before this current season of SNL premiered, season 46. This is Bowen's second year as a cast member on SNL. And last year, as you might imagine, it was wild. In-person production of SNL ground to a halt because of the coronavirus. And all of a sudden, this live sketch show had to pivot to work and film from home. Nevertheless, in this last year, SNL and Bowen have offered us all a lot of comic relief. Bowen has appeared on Weekend Update as a character he created, the Chinese trade rep, Trade Daddy. No one else could do it but me because I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, loyal supplicant to the Communist Party. (laughs) He impersonated Fran Lebowitz. I've been so bored at home, I was about to get married to my cufflinks. And he played this delightfully weird character named Bottle Boy, who was a staunch opponent of New York City's plastic bag ban. All New Yorkers need their plastics. Let's say you're walking down 21st Street with your little Huawa mix and then take a big old dog log on the sidewalk. Would you go pick up that doo-doo with her? An NPR canvas tote? <laughs> and just this past weekend, Bowen Yang played the iceberg that sank the Titanic. Look, why are people still talking about this? Okay, they bumped into me. I said, oh, I'm sorry, which is insane. <laughs> but last month, Bowen appeared as himself on Weekend Update to respond to America's current uptick in anti-Asian violence. It was a hard thing to do on a show like SNL. He had to walk this really fine line, lighten the gravity of the situation with humor, but also encourage viewers to pay more attention, to do more. In Mandarin, there's a cheer that goes, which basically means fuel up. I don't know what's helpful to say to everyone, but that's what I say to myself. Fuel up. Do more. It's the year of the metal ox, which basically means a car. So everyone get in, buckle up. It's no pee breaks. We ride it on, grandmas. So much of this chat that we're sharing with you, it is about more than just comedy. Bowen and I talk about representation and some of the challenges that Bowen and Asians face that we just don't talk about enough. So stay with us after the break. We're going to share this chat from last September, which I think is very timely right now to help us all fuel up. Whether you're looking to discover a new series to binge, find your next great read, or check out that movie everyone's talking about, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is your guide to all things entertainment. Every weekday, we keep pop culture in high spirits. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. So I want to talk about how much do you think of the comedy that y'all will be doing this season has to totally just speak to the pandemic or how much of it can feel like previous seasons? I think probably a lot of your audience wants SNL to help all of us feel more normal right now. But I also know Mm -hmm. that part of the work of your show is always speaking to the absurdity of the the moment. Like, how are you thinking about the ratio of, like, COVID stuff and everything else? Yeah, yeah. I feel like SNL is this kind of fixed, refractive prism. Mm. And whatever comes through it is just whatever is just the absurdity of 
what's going on in the world or um, what people are saying or what's not being said. Um, I think we all, I think we all sort of take that seriously. And I think we're all in a place where we're excited to write. I mean, even in, even in April during like the true depths of the pandemic and like I was in New York where it just felt so, so, so dark and scary. Even then we were, you know, trying to find ways to circumvent the darkness or speak directly to the darkness. And it still felt decent. It felt like it felt meaningful in some way. And I feel like that if we're, if we were able to do that then under these like impossible circumstances, which was everyone's in their own houses, you're being directed over zoom. You're being, you know, there's a gaffer on the zoom telling you where to put your light, you know, how to wire your stuff from your own like living room. I'm in like this kind of shoeboxy place. Like, you know, if I, if we were able to do that back then and sort of come together and have our amazing post-production team, like put that show on, in spite of all of these obstacles, I feel like, I feel this like it'll be, be a walk in the park. It'll be, um, <laughs> sure. So in thinking about the show SNL be in this like mirror that refracts and it's going to just have to mm-hmm. show some of the absurdity of life right now. Like what for you personally, as you like live your life, the last few months has been like the most absurd thing. Like for me, it's just like, I found that living alone, I just have full on conversations with myself now. I will talk to myself. I will yell at myself. Wow. I will sing to myself. And my dog is just like, ah. who are you? What has been your most absurd? Oh, but thing so, you have a dog there. I do. That's nice. I, I, um, I would let her in, but she's a busybody. That's okay. <laughs> she's a busybody. Um, the most absurd thing. The most absurd thing is that I. Um, I used to be. This is another hardline thing. I used to be very anti bath. Okay. But it's it's. I take a bath like four times a week now, which feels excessive. No, it's not excessive. You treat yourself. Okay. You treat yourself. I know. Well, yeah. And I'm like really like researching like the right, like, I, first of all, so what I have now is this eczema honey bath bomb that helps with like irritated skin. And then I have, um, you know, the Jessica Alba bubble bath yes. honest thing. Yes. And it's like, that's like my, those are, those are my sort of tentpole things that I need for the bath. It's not absurd, but it's just like I'm really splurging on bath stuff. And then I'm splurging on like, like this morning I woke up at like, I set an alarm for like the Telfar drop. I was like, I'm going to wake up at nine and I'm going to like buy like the new Telfar earrings. Like I'm going to buy, like I've, I've never been like this sort of yeah mission driven in my shopping. And so I don't know if that's absurd. I'm just like, I, I am like, I'm just I'm I'm in a I'm in a mode to consume as much as I oh, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't bring up bath and have me not like really go down a long list of questions because I've heard from several other creatives when I interview them about their bath uh-huh. process. Like Avon Orgy loves her bath. She says that she talks to God in the bathtub. Like, wow. what is the average length of your bath? Okay. It's it's interesting because I'll I'll ta- I'll put I'll perch my iPad. Okay. On the rim of the bath, there's plenty dangerous. of surface area. It's not too dangerous. <laughs> okay. It's 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 not too dangerous okay. Okay. because there's I've got a I've got a large sort of um you know bar of area where I can just tilt my iPad towards me, mm-hmm. um and I'll I'll put on. Speaking of Yvonne, I was I was I'll, I'll like I've been catching up on Insecure. I'll put on Insecure. Oh uh, yeah. And then once I'm like 20 minutes into the episode, I'll be like, 
okay, time for me. You know, like once Issa and Molly are fighting at the grocery store, I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Like I can. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> oh, and, and yes, of course, now I'm getting pruny and so I'm going to leave. So yeah, so it's uh, it's like 15 minutes. The top, upper bound is like 20. Okay, now, now my goal for you is to like, next time you're taking a long bath, you got to yeah. FaceTime with Yvonne and y'all got to have a bathtub kiki. I would. I'm speaking it right now into existence. Thank you so much, Sam. I I, yes. I am purely a supplicant when it comes to Yvonne Orgy. I, I don't get too like, you know, freaked out or nervous around famous people. But for some reason, Yvonne Orgy is just one of those people where I'm like, I'm too nervous. I would be too nervous to meet her. Yeah. Well, there's something about what Issa has done with that whole show. She has created these characters that are equal parts, like fumbling through their late 20s, early 30s, but also Mm -hmm. incredibly majestic and regal. Like, they're always dressed above their circumstance. (laughs) They always look so great. And you're just like, oh, if I saw you at a party, I'd be afraid to say hi. Exactly. They're they're all hanging out like the nicest, you know co-working spaces i've ever seen in my life yeah Yeah. god like condola is just like this like crazy ravishing beauty i'm just like all these people are like i i would be too afraid to talk to you which i think is how it should be (laughs) you know insecure has been really has been the best escape i I watched the coachella episode again oh my god the other night just to to feel like Can we just say, can we just give props to Natasha? Right there, I mean, right there. Right incredible. There. Uh, yeah. And Natasha was someone who, she, she, she went at SNL for a season, and I was, um, when, I got the, when I got the job offer to write, I reached out to her, and I was like, I really want, you know, it's, we're obviously, it's not the same experience, of course, that you are a black woman and I'm a gay Asian man, but what was it like working for you there? And she was like, you know, it was, it was really nice. But, like, of course, like, you know, it was really intense. And these are these are the things that you should sort of be aware of going in. And I was like, great. Like, she downloaded me on all, like, the nice. the things that, like, that people should know. And I'm just I'm forever grateful for Natasha as, like, a performer, an actor, a writer. But also grateful for her as, like, a person who, like, you know. Yeah. She was, was generous. Was, was kind. Yeah. Generous. Kind enough to, like, let me know you know, how to like emotionally prepare for this, for this really intense demanding job. And gosh, I owe a lot to her. her. You know, hearing you talk about her helping you out when you came on, there has Mm -hmm. been so much discussed about that show and diversity. And to hear you say that... Disgust, D-I-S-C-U-S-S-E-D, not disgust. Oh, disgust. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Good catch. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but like... It's been disgusting. It's been disgusting. I guess what I'm getting at is like... <laughs> there was still a need for you to ask another person of color, what's it going to be like? What should I prepare for? Uh-huh. And so like, what does that say about where you think the show is in terms of just being a... What, a more welcoming environment for people who aren't, you know, sure. the white guys. Well, I was I was just asking her as a way that wasn't even specific okay. to SNL. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I feel like this is a thing now where in any place of work, it's like you kind of there there is this kind of emotional shorthand um, amongst people who don't fit into a whatever like mental model of what that job yeah. is. Yeah. Everyone's being very honest, I think, and transparent about how things work there, which I think is great. I mean, I 
And I was kind of surprised to go into SNL and sort of be just genuinely surprised and comforted by internally, like just going in and seeing like, oh, there are Asians in every department. There are people of color in every department. We've had this like legacy of queer writers who've been at the show since its beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like, you know, so much of you moving from writing to being on camera, like so many of those sketches just popped right away seeing you. But I think a lot of people, a lot of straight people, glommed on to sketches that leaned into you being Asian, you know, you playing Andrew Yang or Kim Jong-un. But I was most impressed by, and what I found to be the most subversive, was the gay stuff. And I I I mean, like, like having Emma Stone play an actress who gets cheated on in gay porn. I played the woman who gets cheated on in the gay porn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you about my line, if you have a moment. Um, I open the door and I say, Jared, what are you doing? Not with my godson. Like that? Or uh, the Sarah Lee stuff. We flag some activity on the account that's been a little off message. Oh, I don't think so. Well, for example, why did Sarah Lee comment on this picture of Nick Jonas saying, wreck me, daddy? Like, that for me was something that was harder to pull off and even more valuable when it worked. Like, I mean, like, having a conversation about poppers in a comedic sketch that straight people understand Come on. <laughs> that is like, that was really smart. And so, I don't know. I, is it, how do you navigate the, is there a, not a competition, but there's a duality mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. identity that you bring to the show. Sure. And how do you think you navigate that? Or does one take precedence and does that change over time? It's this thing that, um, I mean, both of those things are, for anyone watching at home, it feels like they've snuck on in some way, mm. or it feels, there's, there's, there's some, like, novelty aspect to, like, any time there would be, um, you know, there is, like, an Asian element to a sketch, or there is a queer element to a sketch, and I feel like, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm sure, I, I mean, gosh, and I'm still kind of in this place where I'm, like, am I sort of limiting my scope with what I'm capable of doing. But I, I feel like I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in just sort of repetition and mm. building reps in, in, the, in, in the literal sense of like, the more you see this, the more you'll get used to it. At this point, I'm just like, oh, like, I would love for there, there to just be a normal mid-frequency response to you seeing an audience, an audience that watches this and else seeing like a queer Asian person on camera being queer and Asian. Yeah. Without without digging into the politics behind, well, that's all they can do. Like, that's all Bowen does is be queer and Asian. Or uh, in the same way that you don't sort of remark on the fact that a straight white cis cast member would come on and that you don't assign those mm-hmm. descriptors onto them in their performance. So it's like, I kind of want to, like, I don't know, volley on as much of this as possible in my short time here just to make it... E- I was talking to Ego Wodum about this, um, my castmate, and she was like, I just want to make this easier for the next black woman. Mm. I was like, oh my God, yeah. And I was like, I kind of don't really care about how my tenure on the show is perceived in, in, in any particular way, other than the fact that I want this to be, I want this to facilitate something better 
for the next person. Like that's that's kind of like the only duty I'm bound to at the show at this point. I love that. Listeners, stay with us after the break. We answer the following question. What is the culture that made you say culture was for you? It'll make sense later. Trust me. On NPR's Consider This podcast, we don't just help you keep up with the news. We help you make sense of what's happening, like why the housing market is wild right now, what safe looks like once you're vaccinated, and how an increase in border crossings is testing the Biden administration. All of that in 15 minutes every weekday. Listen now to Consider This from NPR. What's been the biggest difference in the reaction to sketches based on those that lean into being Asian or those that lean into being gay? Like, like hmm, they're yeah. all dealing with difference, but like, is there generally a certain kind of response to the Asian sketches that is different than that for the gay sketches? Um... I would say, I, 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 maybe I haven't had enough turns at bat yet. Is that is that the right terminology? I no, that, that works. Yeah, yeah, I probably have to like you know gather a little bit more. I have to get a bigger sample size, but I don't know. I ask that because I'm wondering if there are any you know concerned Asian viewers who are like, well, when you play that character, that was bad sure, for us. Sure. Oh yeah. Do you hear that? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I every now and then, yeah, and I completely understand that point of view because. Do you agree with that? Sure, on some level, yeah, and I sort of um go into these moments of reflection where I'm like, hmm, what am I upholding about Asianness? But then that also gets sort of balanced out by this idea that like there is no like monolith. Asian thing. Billions of people. <laughs> Literally billions of people. Billions of people. So many American people. And like, you know, Asian Americans have the widest income gap huh. within a racial group. And it's like, you know, no one person should be saddled with that responsibility to like speak for an entire group of people in that way. And then whenever I do sort of receive this feedback that you're not giving us a nuanced portrayal of an Asian person, I think, well, it's a sketch show. And like, I, I, I hear it's literally comedy. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. It's like, it's, it's going to be this not caricature-ish version of what's real, but a heightened version of what's real in terms of the, some dials being turned all the way up, others turned all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, you know, it's like when you think of scrutiny from other Asians on you, doing Asian things on the show, I'm guessing Mm -hmm. part of the scrutiny from that group, if it comes, is also this, like, what I find happens is when there's anything of marginalized status that feels like a first, everyone from that group, we unload all of our hopes and our dreams onto that first. And all of a sudden, that first has to do so much more than just their job. It's... Is uh-huh. Bowen doing this, 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 that for the entire industry, for the entire group, for the entire this, for the sure, entire that? Sure. Do you feel that uh-huh. kind of pressure? And if so, how do you fight it? Um, I feel like I felt it less and less. I did feel it very much so in the beginning. And mm. that was something that, yeah, was just literally mentally overwhelming. I feel like there's this discussion now amongst Asian people, especially after the release of this book called Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. I recommend everyone read okay. it. Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning. And she talks about how 
there's this like sense that like you would be in a space that is supposedly like egalitarian in terms of like your identities. I see you. But then you would clock the other Asian people in the room and be like, hmm, I see you, but in a way that is for some reason adversarial. Oh, listen. That is for some girl, reason. Girl, like, I know. I, I know. There have know, been so right? many spaces <laughs> where you walk into yeah, the room yeah. thinking you're going to be the only black and accepting yeah. wholeheartedly the benefits, privileges, and deficits that brings. Then you see yep. another one and you're like, this screws up my calculus. <laughs> I had prepared for how to be in this room as the only. Sure, sure. It's weird sure. now. I get it. Anyways, go ahead. Totally. Go ahead. Well, then, because, so, so then, like, you know, you, you realize that, like, that person becomes a reference point. You're, like, aware that you've become this new sort of reference point for them in their, in their yeah, in their calculation. But I feel like, um, you know, like, where does that come from? And, like, there's this, and this is just the, the extreme sort of way to put this, but she talks about how we have been programmed to very easily succumb to racial self-hatred, which is to see yourself the way that white people see you. Which oh is God. to be like, yes, yes, you know, yes. is to be like, ugh, that Asian person is checking these stereotypical boxes and isn't that so disappointing? Mm-hmm. But it's like, but wait a minute, you're just kind of framing this in some oppressive mm-hmm. frame, you know? It's, it's, and mm-hmm. so I, I feel like, I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm victim to that or that's like what, what people are sort of putting on me because I, for the most part, I do feel very sort of lucky and understood but um, I think we're starting to work our way out of that yes. default mode of thinking. Oh, yeah. And I think part of it comes out of this like innate sense of scarcity and scarce resources. So yes, if yes. I'm in this space that's majority white and I've carved out this mm-hmm. space for me as the black or the Asian or the gay, mm-hmm. I better be really careful when another one of those steps up because they might get my slice of the pie because it took me so long to get my slice and I'll be damned if I lose my slice. And I think what has to happen in our careers and in our hearts is this reset. Yeah. Like it's not just about a pie. Right. It's about the kitchen. Yeah. It's about. Oh my God. It is about, you know, the farm-to-table pipeline. There's a whole Ah! universe, you know? (laughs) And it's like, how do we as creatives of color, you know, Mm -hmm. say, okay, I see you other Asian. I see you other black. I see you other whatever. Mm -hmm. Come on. Let's go farm some food together. Oh, yeah. Let's go go make more food. This is is a horribly realized metaphor analogy or whatever. No, no, no. (laughs) This is an even worse realized metaphor, which is... um, it used to be that you'd see a gay at, for me you would see another gay person at a wedding and you'd be like damn it uh-huh. but now i've i've evolved to a place where i'm like i see another gay guy at a wedding i'm like great like there's at least two like moderately mm-hmm. skilled dancers yes. here at this wedding yes yes so there you go yes how yeah. can we come together <laughs> how can we come together yes at the wedding uh-huh. at the uh-huh. wedding yeah in the kitchen in the kitchen yeah. in the kitchen um so Bowen, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast if that's cool, just because yes. I love it. And like so, you know, man. like I had this long period where it's like when you make a podcast, you can't listen to any other ones, but in the midst of quarantine, yes. I have to listen. You know what I'm saying? I know. But now yeah. something about this quarantine moment, it's like I need it. And so my three every week are Las Culturistas. No way. The Read. The Read. And Who Weekly. 
Oh my God, I'm honored to those be among are my those. Three. Wow, that's really well, nice. You know, my Sam. secret dream is all of y'all just get together for like a freaking Avengers in-game podcast event. Oh, I would love that. I feel like Crystal and Kid Fury are like just like too cool for well, school. Well, they have that I'm whole like, insecure I, majestic vibe. I'm just like, am I cool enough to hang around y'all? I don't know. Uh, yes. <laughs> Totally, totally. And then, oh my God, and, and yeah, and Who Weekly. I love Who Weekly. Yeah, yeah. I want to unpack a little bit of the conceit of the show for those who haven't heard it yet so they can start listening to. Yes. But I also want to just, my, I keep squatting and I just kicked out another leg. No, that's okay. My legs are so asleep. Gay, gay men can't <laughs> no. just sit straight. We can't just sit still. You got no. you to you move. You got to fidget. Oh, You got to lean. Yes. Your, your center of gravity is in your ankle sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You get it. Um, yeah, I get it. I love the way that y'all unpack culture capital c rules of culture the moment culture was culture for you like how do we explain to Mm non-listeners what you're doing with the idea of big c culture sure totally uh with big c culture we're just kind of making it just aggressively frivolous it's just (laughs) i mean there's nothing too important there's nothing not important enough there's um which is not to say that, like, if everything's culture, then nothing is. But it's just to say that there's no, like, concern for what's highbrow, what's lowbrow. It's all part of the conversation. We well, y'all also do this thing that I love, where y'all just be talking, and y'all talk uh-huh. across a thing that you like. And all of a sudden, Matt or you were like, and that's a rule of culture. And all of a sudden, it's a rule of culture. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a rule of culture. Look, please. you have a little bit done over the years, so you look like yourself always. Absolutely. You and that's go. how you get the cast of Real Housewives of Insert City Here. There's yes, exactly. Sure. Also, if you look like you've had work done, it didn't work. That didn't work. <laughs> Honestly, the, that's the, a rule of culture. That's a rule of culture. Number, number four. Number four. Mm-hmm. If, if you, you look, look like, like you've had, had work done, done, it didn't work. It is this very determined... Not a labeling, but you're saying that like all of this can be respected, all of this can be important. Here it is, yeah. baby. Lick it up. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Lick it up. <laughs> Lick it up. Yeah, it's just um. Again, I'll, I'll say the word. It's frivolous. It's silly. <laughs> and then we bring on guests. We bring on guests, and then they, we ask them like, what were what are the culturally impactful moments from your from your life, from your upbringing. But you don't say it like um, that. Y'all say, wait, when did you know that, wait, what was the culture that made you know that culture was for you? Or how do you do it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, what is the, you know, you got it. That's perfect. What is the culture that made you say culture is for you? Yeah. Which just kind of asks, like, what was something that put you into a culturally minded direction? And so it's, it's, I mean, the answers are always so interesting. They reveal so much about the person, you know, that the, the way that people invite us in is, is so, 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 so nice. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I, that's, I kind of feel like that's the luckiest thing that I've like fallen into quote unquote in my life is that like these people just like think that what I have to say is like fun. I don't know. Well, you know what it is. You always finish the bit. Y'all commit. Like I'm thinking <laughs> back to like the top 200 moments of culture that y'all did when i began to listen i was like they're not gonna finish this they're not gonna finish this (laughs) and and then six hours later and you did and it took me half of a cross-country road trip to finish those episodes but i did and i was like (gasps) they did it what was the number one what was the number one what was it was adele dazine (laughs) adele dazine was the number one moment in culture history all culture history because because and it beat out jonas saul inventing the polio vaccine it beat out (laughs) Everything. If you everything. How much in advance did y'all say number one is going to be Adele Nazim? Or was it like on the fly? 
It was we knew from the jump Stop. that number one was Adele disease, Stop. and then we and then <laughs> what's dumb is that we worked our way backwards. I mean, there's so much that's happened since we've published that list, and what like two months ago that we're like maybe we have to come out with a new one <laughs> because like we missed like you know WAP and we missed oh, yeah. you know Gaga's performance at the VMAs. We've missed so many things. I missed that performance. So, so fine. <laughs> I will say. Normani in WAP. Oh my God. It's a real cultural moment of WAP. We forget that like Normani was the only one actually doing choreo in that video. Thank you. Cause oh, cause Cardi and Cardi and Megan yeah, weren't. They're, they're like a little, little, you know, Tina from Bob Burgers twerking, Shh. but like Normani is getting it. <laughs> and like, yes. yeah. If they're in the hound's tooth in the yes. beret. Oh, yes. such a good luck. In this vein, I have to ask you, what is the culture that made you know that culture was for you? And this answer, uh, so you've many, answered it before, but yeah. it could be whatever you wanted to be today, right? Because it's very dynamic, and and it, it, the the answer always changes for me and for a lot of for everyone, I think. But for me, right now, to answer your question, um, the culture that made me say culture is for me is, I mean, it's Celine Dion, probably growing up in Montreal, like you know. Celine just like kind of like lit something up in me. And then Celine was also like, she did this concert special on TV one year when I was a kid where she brought in Elton John. And then that was when I was introduced to Elton John. And like, it, he was just this man on the piano with all these kooky glasses. And I was like, when I grow up, I want to have a lot of glasses. <laughs> you know, like it was, she was like the door, the portal that opened. She was the gateway drug into this other stuff. And so, Celine Dion is probably the Celine. gateway drug for a lot of gay men. Oh, yeah. Gosh, love her. I tell you what. Celine, to end this chat, what a beautiful conversation. Uh, beautiful, Sam, and you facilitated the whole thing. Thanks again to Bowen Yang. You can catch him on Saturday Night Live. That show is currently in its 46th season. And, dear listeners, when we taped this thing back in September, we tried something new with Bowen. We did a video cut of it as well. If you go to the NPR YouTube page, you can see me and Bowen talk it's at youtube.com slash NPR. Also, one more thing. That author that Bowen mentioned, Kathy Park Hong, I interviewed her as well about her book, Minor Feelings. You can find that chat in this podcast feed. All right, listeners, we are back Friday with another episode. As always, thank you for listening. Till next time, stay safe, be good to yourselves. We will talk soon.